Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, July 6th, the Happy Independence Day edition. I'm Gabriel Roth, an editor at Slate and the father of Eliza, who is six, and Leo, who is almost three. And I am Carvel Wallace, a writer in Oakland, and I am the father of Georgia, who is 11, and Ezra, who is 14. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire. I'm the mother of Henry, who is almost 16, Teddy, who is 14, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. This week, we've got a call from a listener who is finding that uh, she and her partner have different approaches to parenting, wants to know how to resolve that. And uh, another call from a listener whose kid needs some space from her talkative big brother. There will be triumphs, there will be fails, there will be parenting recommendations, and in Slate Plus, we will talk about the July 4th holiday and how we are teaching our kids about the complicated thing that is America uh, and how we feel about it. We're going to start with triumphs and fails. Rebecca, did you triumph or did you fail? I would say this is not my triumph. It belongs solely to the New England Aquarium in Boston, Massachusetts. So I'm going to give them 100% credit for it. Uh, over the weekend, we had just Teddy. Henry was invited uh, to the Cape with one of his friends. So we decided, because my family always gives me crap, because I always say that I don't care for Boston, that like they would show me the Boston that they enjoy. So we went to uh, Quincy Market and Faneuil Hall. We walked to the North End and had lunch in an Italian restaurant. And um, then we were going to go just for an hour or two to the New England Aquarium, which is a great aquarium. Uh, that's one thing in Boston I've actually done before when my kids were younger. And Teddy is a, was about to leave on a trip with his dad to San Francisco, and he was really psyched to see some seals and kind of get in the mood. He's really into animals. So um, we went over to the New England Aquarium. It was like 3 o'clock at this point, and the line was astronomically long, especially for three o'clock in the afternoon. So we walked around the aquarium. There's a nice little harbor walk out there. And the whole 
fur seal exhibit has a glass uh, wall that faces the harbor. So you can actually like see the seals and uh, see the seal training show from outside on this river walk. And then so we, we did that for a while. And then we walked around the building. And then in the front of the building, there's this amazing harbor seal display. Now, I don't know if this is like part of the aquarium, the developers um, like deal with Boston that they make part of it sort of viewable from the outside and publicly available. But we were able to stand outside for free on this great little walkway with all kinds of different families and people of different ages and, uh, you know, from all over the world and watch these harbor seals swim back and forth, you know, like come up with their fin, wave to us, interact with us exactly the same way as they would have if we had been able to go inside. So I would say it's a triumph for the New England Aquarium for providing a really cool exhibit that is publicly viewable from the exterior so you will not disappoint your children uh, when you are the, st- the stodgy one who says, I refuse to stand in a long line. They'll still be able to st- see seals and have a great time. So it was a great day, and um, that was the highlight of it for sure. Nice. Uh, I have a triumph that uh, went through a, uh, a scary emotional uh, moment earlier uh, over the past week. Um, as I've talked about a little bit, Leo has been having some sleeping problems. He doesn't want to go to sleep in his crib. So we, uh, replaced his crib with the grown up bed. I didn't eventually find that piece of wood that you heard me bitching about. Um, and instead we just got a, a, a new big kid bed and, and he was excited about it. Uh, and then he didn't want to go in it. Didn't want to go to sleep, wanted to stay awake, wanted to go upstairs, wanted to be with the grownups, wanted to do stuff. It's bedtime, got to go to sleep, wouldn't go to sleep. Eventually, we get him in his bed and, and we get him to go to sleep. And then I was awoken in the middle of the night um, by the sound of like little feet scurrying around and like, oh man, he's out of his bed. And I get up and I don't see him anywhere. And so maybe I just imagined this, maybe it was a nocturnal hallucination and I I figure I'll just go check and make sure he's in his room and in his bed. Uh, He's not in his bed. So I, I, you know, his sister sleeps in the same room, so I can't like turn on the light. So I have to like go up and peek under the covers, but no, he's not in his bed. And I look all around and he's not there. Uh, And I went back out into the hall and he's not there. And I'm sort of looking around in my room and he's not there. And I look upstairs in the living room and he's not there. And suddenly, like all the lights are out and I can't turn any lights on without waking people up. I don't yet want to wake everybody up, but this is that moment when your child has literally disappeared in the middle of the night. And it's not a moment that any parent really relishes as part of the uh, exquisite wonderment of childhood. Um, Eventually, you know, I said in the middle of the bedroom, I said, Leo, where are you? And I hear, here. Oh, my God. And I, I said, where? <laughs> and he stuck out his head from underneath the bed. And he goes, peekaboo. <laughs> and, you know, just that's when my wife woke up. And so she says, what's going on? Leo is under the bed, whatever. I'm the only one who experienced that, like, three and a half minutes of, like, steadily increasing eerie terror. Uh, in any case, there he is under our bed because he didn't want to be in his bed anymore. And he came into our room and he knows he's not supposed to be there. So he figured he would hide under our bed. Um, we impressed upon him that that was not okay. Um, and we sent him back to his bed. And and for a couple of nights we had to, he didn't go under the bed again, but for a couple of nights we had to like be returning him to his bed over and over and over again. I think we've got it. 
licked. Like now he, he stays in his bed the whole night. Sometimes he fusses for a second and he wants one of us to go in and just reassure him that we're still there. He's going through something scary and, and I get that. But, um, I think the thing of, uh, him disappearing from his bed <laughs> and, and popping up in amusing places around the house, uh, hopefully is, is over. So I'm counting yeah. that as a triumph because he's still around. What was scarier, the disappearance or the popping up? Because the popping up sounds pretty scary as well. <laughs> I, the popping up was a relief, frankly. Right. The like, uh, like when you ask, when, when you call him and uh, he responds, then like that's what you're hoping for, right? The scary thing is like, Leo, where are you? And then like the silence. That would be the scary one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, Carvel, triumph or fail? Oh, uh, well, all, always my life is filled with many of both, but I'm going to choose a triumph today, which is that uh, last week my kids went away to sleepaway camp. It's the same camp they've gone to every year for, I don't know how many years, five, six years, which is just fills me with joy because I didn't have that growing up. I didn't have that repetitive sleepaway camp experience. And so um, I just love the fact that they go and they know the same kids and they tell the funny stories and the things that you're kind of like terrified by that they're like, there were no counselors around when this happened, and but they come back and all they want to do is regale me with camp tales and practical jokes. So, um, so they went this past week, and then the the bus gets back on Saturday, and our old family friend, who is my son's best friend from birth, they're six days apart, and uh, his mom was traveling, so she asked us if we could take him as well and pick him up from the bus, and so he spent the night, and then the next day I took. Uh, the kid whose name is Phoenix and my son back to Phoenix's house while his mother herself was returning from a trip. We got there. His mother wasn't back yet. She was on her way from the airport. Phoenix was alone. He spends, because his mother works a lot, she's a single mom and she works as a, as a nurse. Um, he does spend a, a fair amount of time alone in his house and he's pretty self-sufficient, but there's also that part of him that just doesn't want to have to do that. So we were going to drop him off, but it was clear that he wanted us to hang out with him until she got back. And so we came in and and the three of us sat on the, his couch, me, Ezra, and Phoenix. And I don't know how to explain it, but we just like we just kicked it for like an hour and a half. We we um listened to music. They wanted to show me like different new like hip hop tracks that had dropped and get my opinion on them. And we talked about various rappers and who was the best of all time. And we looked at funny YouTube videos and then we had this section where we were all three of us were playing video games separately but talking to each other about what we were doing. And there was something about that, you know, Phoenix has been in my life since he was born. And there's something about the realization that I had there that it just reminded me that I am uh, an influence, like a positive, important influence on this person's life and on the life of my son. And I think sometimes one of the mistakes we make in terms of knowing where we fit into the world is sometimes we overestimate how important we are, but sometimes we underestimate how important we are. And there was a part of me that just wanted to just get back home and it was a Sunday and I wanted to start getting everything together. But I realized as we were hanging out that like I... I mean, that Phoenix needed me or wanted me to be there just to like be an adult male that we could, that he could talk to. That was not one of his parents. And we got to talk about everything that comes up. And we talked about, like, like I said, rap and about school and dating and camp and gender and all this stuff. And it just, it just, it just was a moment where there's the part of you as a parent that wants to go and take care of business because that's so much of your job. But then there's that moment when you realize that really your ultimate sort of business is to be present with kids. And 
I felt really lucky to be able to be present with those kids for like an hour, hour and a half. Then his mom came home. Then, the, then all of us sat around and talked, you know, well into the evening. And it was just sweet. And I just really cherished that experience. And those kids are growing so fast. I remember when they were little tiny babies and I had the both of them in strollers and was changing diapers. And now Phoenix has got facial hair for whatever reason. And, <laughs> you know, it's just like, because it's just can. a beautiful thing. Yeah, because you can. It's just a beautiful thing to watch that happen. And I just felt really lucky and blessed to be able to 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 have that moment of gratitude for like being in, in these kids' lives. Carvel, what is it like to be a dad, but also to be cool? <laughs> is it weird? <laughs> I mean, it's I, <laughs> it's yeah, that's a funny thing because, like, when I was growing up, I wasn't cool actually. So, and it's weird. Uh, we were just at this Fourth of July thing last night. Um, with a bunch of this extended group of people and their kids. And it's at a point now where in Berkeley, there's all these layers of kids where, you know, friends of friends know the family, but then their kids are now in their teens or 20s. And then there's some kids that are in their, like, it's still in elementary school. And we were all together in this backyard last night for 4th of July. And then it, it came out, it tumbled out because Phoenix was actually was bragging about it, that I had written... Um, a profile on this rapper named G Easy, who is popular among the young people, and also happens to be from Berkeley. So people really in Berkeley really care about G Easy, and so it came out that I had written this profile and I interviewed him and spent all this time with him. And uh, this one kid who was like, whose name is Eli, who's probably like twenty, twenty-one, just started like peppering me with questions and what was it like and that's so cool how'd you get into it how'd you get into the music industry and it was just such a weird out-of-body experience because i was like i know you think i'm cool but i'm not <laughs> like this is all smoke and mirrors you know i'm just like <laughs> some schlub who goes to work every day and my just so happens that my job is to like talk to rappers or whatever but like <laughs> i'm just a workaday guy so i don't know i mean i like the fact that that even to the age of 14, the kids and I still share enough of a common language around memes, around hip-hop, around black culture, around music, around art, that we can joke and riff with each other. Uh, but I also know that that's going to go soon because everything is different now. Everything is so different now. What the kids are into music-wise, it's just different and weird. And um, I know that I'm not going to have much more of that, so I guess I just enjoy it while I can. You're talking about like the inevitable thing where whatever kids are into turns over so quickly that there's no way for a grown adult to keep up yeah that's exactly it and like i mean my both the kids all the kids are sort of still into 90s rap um partially my son's into that too certain, like that's the thing now right yeah, like that's what i mean I'm yeah fine with that can, yeah. can we just stay there stay let's just it, yeah. keep it there forever yeah. there's a certain staying power to that music because it, it was so good and it was kind of a golden era and i think kids hear it now and still recognize wow this was really good but that's like half of what they're into and the other half of what they're into. I'm like, what? Well, he said, what? Is that, you're allowed, is that rap? That doesn't seem like rap, does it? You know, I just like, I, I get to be the old guy. And the reality is as a parent, I mean, no one likes, like cool dads are annoying. Ultimately, you you have to embrace your your role as a dinosaur if you're a dad, I think. I think I have to let... Otherwise, the kids don't have any space. They feel crowded if I'm all up in the same thing. The kids have to have some stuff that they're into that I'm like, what is this nonsense? This is What is this newfangled? Like, I have to do that. That's part of what allows them to feel powerful in themselves. And so I embrace that too. Uh, 
Yeah, I just kind of like take all of it. <laughs> you know what's really cool is uh, Spotify family uh, because, you know, my son is really into music. He loves jazz. He loves hip hop. And I was the one who first said, you know, you should really get some, you know, you should have like no- Notorious B.I.G. and like Tribe Called Quest on your playlist. If you like this, like you'll love like the hip hop that was popular when I was a kid. And so we now he shares playlists with me or like we'll be driving and he'll plug in his Spotify playlist and to hear how he combines like the stuff that that I know with the stuff that he's into from now, it's actually a good way for me to actually hear something I wouldn't hear otherwise. It's like a cool way to share music with your kids. Although yeah. sometimes stuff comes on and I'm like you, I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know how to describe what this is. <laughs> like, why do you listen to this? What is the matter with you? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Time now uh, to do the business. If you like our show, you should know about another great Slate podcast, the Slate Culture Gab Fest. Every week, Slate's editor-in-chief, Julia Turner, my boss, and film critic Dana Stevens and critic-at-large Stephen Metcalf bring their critical acumen to bear on topics big and small from the world of culture. A good place to start if you've never heard the show would be last week's segment about the reboot of Barbie's boyfriend, Ken. What does his man bun say about 21st century masculinity? (laughs) How much is there for three smart critics to say about this plastic toy? You will be surprised. The show is the Slate Culture Gab Fest. It comes out every Wednesday, and uh, you can find it at slate.com slash culture or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you're a Slate Plus member, at the end of this episode, you'll hear the three of us talking about America, patriotism, and how we teach our kids about those complicated concepts. If you're not a Slate Plus member, why not? Go to slate.com slash app, download the Slate iOS app, and try Plus free for 90 days. That's three months of ad-free episodes and bonus segments from our show, from the Culture Gab Fest, from the Political Gab Fest, and from all your other favorite Slate podcasts. Okay, it's time to take our first call. This one is from Alana. Hi, everyone. My name is Alana, um, and I have a question about parenting differences. My son is turning five this summer, and my significant other has played a pretty big part in his life for over two years now, um, but has recently taken taken a more involved role as we have moved in together. In the three months since we've been in our new home, it's become apparent that my partner and I have very different approaches to parenting. Um, Often we agree in theory on principles or worldviews that we want to reinforce or encourage, but disagree on the best execution of those goals. It's really frustrating for both of us and for my son, and it's been hard to find the best way to handle it. It's driving us all crazy, and I don't know what to do. I don't know exactly what my question is, except to ask for any insights that you might have into how to handle the situation. Thanks so much. I love the show and keep up the good work. Bye. Well, this is a question about step parenting. This is very firmly in my wheelhouse, you know, whether or not Alana and her partner are married or not. You're talking about having basically a step parent in the home. I was raised by a mom and a stepdad, and my dad also remarried when I was a kid. And now um, I have a stepfather in my home with my kids, and my kids have a stepmother at their dad's home. So 
What you're talking about, Alana, is exceedingly common. Um, and what I'm about to say is f- only through my lens. So, you know, this is obviously my opinion. There's no perfect way, I think, to navigate the situation. It's very tricky. But this is what has worked for me over time. Because when Kevin and I first got together, we experienced a lot of what it, what you're talking about, where in principle, we'd be alone together discussing somebody's behavior or discussing a direction we wanted one of the kids to move in. We kind of agreed on the outcome. It was always the tactics that was the issue. And that's very much when we talk about style. Style is very often about tactics in parenting, uh, less so than about um, overall you know, values and uh, you know, hoped for goals. Kevin tended to be more, I just a little bit more like in the moment, like reactionary when things wouldn't go the way we wanted them to go. I tended to be more kind of hang back, let a lot of things roll off and sort of handle things more um, like sort of long term when things were calm. Kevin also, his daughter, he parented her a specific way. I've, I, My impression was that he was maybe overly accommodating of some of her idiosyncrasies and there was a lot of angst there. And um, his sense was that, no, I was being too straightforward with her and like we needed to be less transparent. And um, so we had a lot of this. And Basically, what we came have come out to over time, and this has worked really, really well in our house, is that the agreement that we have is that we really need to show the kids that, you know, we're a couple. We have a united front when it comes to ideals. However, when it comes to tactics and parenting and the way that a lot of those things are executed – I really have to honor Kevin's parenting relationship with his daughter, and he has to honor mine with my sons. And that may mean that sometimes um, I handle something differently than he would in the moment, or it might mean that I come to a different decision or that I'm a different level of permissiveness than he might be in that moment. And it is a very, very fine balance where we feel like a full family and not two separate teams. And over time, it has really, really worked out. And we do feel like a full family and not two separate teams. But it started with this kind of line drawing of respect of, hey, you know, this relationship with my kids is primary. It's primary to them. They were living a certain way before you came into their lives. The way that I talk to them and the way that I deal with them in the moment has to feel good for me and for them. And I want you to feel good about it too, but I can't prioritize that necessarily, especially during a time of transition. So um, where we're at right now is that everybody can talk to anybody and do whatever they want in the moment. At this point, the kids understand that Kevin and I are two separate people and may you know, have two different reactions to different things. Um, and it feels very familial in that way. But the thing that I never forgot in from my own experience growing up with parents who I think tried to be 100% united front with me was that it felt to me when I was a little kid like my mom wasn't on my side. And I have always wanted my kids to feel like you know, when I was married to their dad, we definitely sort of lived that philosophy of like the marriage first and then the kids, you know, were, you know, the, you know, they, 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 we, didn't, we didn't put the kids in front of us all the time. It was always like sort of marriage centric. Um, but in this relationship with steps, it's, it's you got to strike more of a balance. I want the kids to know that they can come to me alone, that they can, um, you know, not feel like the relationship they that I have with their stepdad is going to supersede the parenting relationship. Uh, it's it's a really really tricky balance, but it really starts with with us getting out of each other's way, and we did that about 
I'd say four to five years ago. And then it took about a year to sort of reach like a really good equilibrium where everybody was comfortable. Um, we, we stopped sort of pretending like we were being united front all the time. It w- it's okay for the two of us to disagree about how we're going to handle something in front of the kids. Um, and it, it just takes time. But I, I would say, you know, just understand that for your kids, when they when you do something that's in alignment with your partner that they feel like isn't what would happen if you know before this new living situation took place the kids are going to be sensitive to it so you just got to keep that in mind and, and try to strike the balance with that in mind. So I know it's not a concrete like solution, but it's the way that we were able to make it work in my house. The thing is, in a way, framing this question in terms of step families um, gives you an easy answer, right? Because it, we can say to Alana, the caller, uh, you know, you're the actual parent and your significant other is, is going to be working with you and helping you. and uh, But uh, you, you're the one whose opinions get to carry the day. And that's a great sort of rule of thumb. And Rebecca, in your family, you can say, well, you have the final say over what happens to your kids and, and your husband has the final say over what happens to his kids. Um, but the same sorts of conflicts happen in in other kinds of families too. I, I certainly like. There are plenty of moments when my wife and I just have different instincts about how to respond to a particular situation with the kids in a particular moment, uh, and that's something that we've had to like negotiate and and navigate. And I feel like for us, the problem is compounded by the fact that I have super strong opinions and am like in that moment convinced that my way of responding to the situation is going to be the right way. And therefore, whenever I see her doing something different, that's not the thing that I would do. I like seize up because it's by definition the wrong thing to do. Um, that's a problem that, that, that we have to work on. And, and I have gotten some way to like teaching myself that actually like a i'm not always right b there is not always only one right way c the the seizing up and the controlling thing that i keep doing is much more of a problem than whatever is the like less optimum response to whatever the kid is doing at that moment um, but I'm not going to say it's easy because it, it, it really isn't. Uh, and in a way it would be helpful if like only one of us was the kid's parent, because then that one could be like, well, this is the way we're going to do it. But we don't, we don't have that. I've, I've got a question though, Gabe. I mean, how much do you, I, I'm curious, you have younger kids. How much do you have, how much do they see the disagreement between mom and dad when you guys don't agree on things? Do you let them see the two of you working that out? Or do you do that behind closed doors and then come out and like have a united message at, at the end of the day? How, how do you guys make that work? I think, number one, I think they see it more than is good. And I think that's largely because what they see is me sort of clenching up at something not going the way that I wanted it to go. Um, I think that's a sort of ongoing problem that I have and that I am like actively trying to work on. And it's definitely better than it was a while ago. Um in terms of the like closed doors discussion, we do try to do that. It's hard because our apartment doesn't have a ton of doors. Like, uh, <laughs> just the architecture of the place where we live. Yeah, it, do- it doesn't make it very easy, unfortunately. Um, so we try to save some of it for after bedtime mm. or whatever. Um, it's it's tough. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's, yeah, I mean, I think that Rebecca said mostly the same thing that I thought, or actually both of you did, because, you know, we have the exact same thing in our family. I thought the thing you said, Rebecca, about um, 
how the kids need to feel like that the parent is on their side. That comes up all the time. Like the kids, like the kids will want something. They'll petition their mom for it. Their mom will sort of be like on the fence, but kind of leaning towards it. And then I'll say something like, well, I don't know. I mean, here's why we probably shouldn't do that. And then the kids will be like, and then the mother, my, my ex will be like, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Never mind. And then the kids will be like, see, you just, you just capitulated to dad. Like <laughs> one time I taught her, was like, that's just the patriarchy, mom. Like you, you can't let him tell you what to do. <laughs> Amen. Like, <laughs> so like they, you know, like that, but that is true. That thing about kids needing to feel like the parent is on their side. I think specifically in these step parent situations, um, the thing that Rebecca said about each person kind of having the final being the, being the final step in the chain of command, I think is important in step situations. Um, and this is mostly from talking. I was ne- I was never in a step situation, but my kid's mom was, and we talk a lot about it. And in a way, she's moving into another one because she's moving in with her boyfriend. Um, and one of the things that she said about her childhood is that whenever her mother would do what the guy said, she felt that like a deep sense of betrayal. And it wasn't even about oh, yeah, yeah. the thing. It was really a deeper sense of like, it was, it was an indication that the, that her mother was prioritizing this dude over her, which the wound on that is, is great. And so um, I think that also just as for a way to, f- for a family to work in that scenario, there has to be a kind of final, someone has to have the final say because two people, you know, that's just the way it works. And so I think in this case, it's possible for the mom to have the final say. But that raises the second question to me, which I think is unspoken in this in this caller's call, which is any parenting debate between two people is about the relationship between the two people. Because if the newly acquired step parent isn't willing to recognize that their way isn't the only way, then that's a relationship problem. I think because mm-hmm. this thing that Gabe said is true. Like I have finally realized now that I have older kids and have seen a bunch of kids go from essentially zero to adults who have apartments is that there are a lot of different ways parenting can work out. There are so many ways it can work out and people can do stuff. I mean, I, I know kids that are great and that when they were five, I was looking at their mom or dad, like these people are fucking nuts. How dare, you know? And like, <laughs> <laughs> Those kids turn out fine. Like, they're fine. They're productive members of society. They're sensitive and interesting and smart and curious and active in the world. And it turns out that there's a lot of different ways that parenting can work out. And so one of the things that I have learned in co-parenting with my ex is that it doesn't have to be my way. Like, I have to trust that she also is trying to have it work out with the kids. She's not, not, you know. And if she feels really strongly about something, then I can say... Yeah, by all means, like, let's go, like, do it, of course, like, do it your way, because because I still have to have some faith that it can possibly work out, even though it's not the way I drew it up. And that has to do with faith in your partner. It has to do with faith in your family. It has to do with faith in your kids. And if you're in a partnership with someone that you can't trust to parent, then I think that's a relationship problem. And one of the things that I yeah. had to remind myself is that I chose this person to be the mother of our children. You know what I mean? And I chose that because I believed in who she was. And so I that faith does guide me when she wants to do things one way and I want to do them another way. I'm also like, 
Like, is it important for me to fight and try to, like, sort of wrestle her into submission just to do things my way? Like, I'm not some parenting genius. I'm just another guy. She could very easily be the one in this podcast. Like, I'm not here because I'm some expert parent, you know? Like, and so I just feel like that there has to be a level of capitulation is a loaded word. But I think in order for a relationship to work, there has to be a humility and a recognition that your way isn't the only way. And that that um, ability to do that has to be called upon in a, re- in a situation like this where I think the mother should have the final say because it's her kid. So the person we're really addressing with this answer is Alana's partner, right? Who's moving in and, and joining this family and has been a part of the kid's life and is going to be a bigger part of the kid's life. But who we're saying has to realize, like, actually, no, you're not the kid's dad. At some point when the kid is a teenager, she's going to be telling you that to your face, that you're not her dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but you you have to know that from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and, and also this and, relationship. And the, go, no, ahead, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was going to say also that, that, that the relationship grows over time. Like, I don't think, I know that the caller said that he's been in the kid's life for some period of time, but this moving in is a new thing. And the, like, dad status isn't conferred upon you just because you live in the house or are having sex with the mom. Like, if you're, if you're a step, parent status in terms of the ability, sort of the, the consent, the kid's consent to parent them grows over time. And I don't think you can just run in there and just say, well, now because I'm a grown-up and because I'm doing your mom, I now get to tell you what to do. I just don't think that's Right. right. They didn't <laughs> I ask think you have for to earn it, right? that over time. They're, they're, yeah. it's like, the kid didn't ask for no, that. No, you're, you're, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And what we're talking about, about the, the kid's consent, I mean, that rings so true to me. I mean, one of the things that when Kevin and I got married, um, I didn't change my name again because um, I I decided, you know, my mom changed my name, her name to my stepdad's name when I was a little kid. And it was always really confusing in school. Like my mom had a different last name than I did. And it was like a whole thing. And I was just like, you know what? I, I don't want to like necessarily keep my ex-husband's name, but I do want to have the same last name as my kids. And sort of and for me, it was a signal that I was sending them that like we're on the same team or whatever. You know, th- to be perfectly transparent, uh, when we first got this question, it first came in as a Facebook question. I came downstairs to the studio with Kevin to sort of see how he would answer it. And we immediately kind of got into a little bit of a debate over the, over the <laughs> answer, which is which was so amazing to me because we have so much. Um, good going on in like our co-parenting situation with each other's kids. You know, I have this wonderful relationship with his daughter now, which was not always the case Mm. until she and I came to a truce where we basically decided like, we're not going to pretend to behave like step-parent and stepdaughter anymore. We're just going to be friends and like take it from there. And then it actually grew into a stepmother-stepdaughter relationship once we decided to take that pressure off the table. Mm. Um, and then, you know, with with my kids, especially with, you know, some of our more challenging times, Teddy and his ADHD and like, you know, impulsivity stuff, Kevin just being like wanting to just be like, ah, and me being like, listen, you have to get into the mindset of like, he can't. Not that he's doing it to like to be defiant or whatever. We had a lot of those discussions and all that feels like such water under the bridge. But when we came down here to talk about it and Kevin started talking about how important it is to have a united front. And I was just thinking, like, that is not as important as the kids feeling like, you know, you're on their side. And so I guess even when it's working well, it is still complicated is 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 the only thing I can say about it. It's just if you can find some peace and everyone can feel happy and the kids can feel safe and loved and like they have a step to rely on and talk to whatever that relationship looks like. um, That's great. It does not make it less complicated and um and it's it's 
it's hard. And I think the consent to parent thing is a great way to think about it. The kids didn't ask for it. Um, and I'm not saying let them run all over you because that's obviously what could happen on the other end of the spectrum. But just let them into the process of of the decisions that are being made. Like let them into this fa- the fact that you guys are having a disagreement over how to punish them or how to which chores they should be responsible. Let them into the conversation a little bit and show them that they have a stake and that you're thinking about their stake in, in the relationship. Yeah, I don't know if that's the case for a kid who's five. I mean, I think that's the case for older kids. Um, but I, but I do think that the united front thing is like is kind of a it's a little bit of a red herring parenting wise. I think people just re- pull on that when they're basically like, "Do what I say," <laughs> because we have to have a united front. <laughs> it's just like exactly. Kind of a, I agree. It's a little bit of a dictatorial like ruse. Um, but I, but I guess my advice, so since really this is kind of advice for the, the entering parent, the word, the phrase that came to mind was just like, be easy, dude. Like, just be easy, man. Like you are coming into an existing thing. And I know that you feel like you have some right because of your intimacy with the mom and because of the time you've spent with the kid thus far, but it's a whole different ball of wax when you move in with someone. So I think in this case, the parent is like the leading parent and that the the step parent who's coming in is um, something of it. Like the role, the primary role is support. It's the primary role is support. It's not to like take over 50, 50 duty and run, run the ship on your own. It's, it's support. And so if she's like, yeah, I'm struggling with this. I wonder what your opinion is, or can you help me with this? Or I don't quite know how to do this. That's when you can say, here's what I think we should do. But I think outside of that, the, the, if there's a disagreement and you feel one way and the mom feels another way, I just really believe that, that the mom has the final say and that you have to kind of like hang back and see what happens and try to be of support to the mom and the kid as much as you can. Yep. Amen. Alana's partner, take a back seat. <laughs> Um, uh, hopefully that works out, right? Is he listening? I don't know if he's listening. Alana, <laughs> play, play, play this for him. Uh, <laughs> let us know how it goes. All right. Uh, our second call is from Brittany. Hello, this is Brittany. You wouldn't think this would be something I would have to call about, but it honestly happens on a daily basis. And we're just confused as to the lingo we should use to address this. My four-year-old is very talkative, um, always wants to talk to everybody, including his sister, who's three. My three-year-old is very shy and reserved, and she just kind of likes to have her time. So um, this happens especially in the car. He wants to talk to her, and she just wants to relax. So we've started to tell her, or we've started to tell him, uh, she just wants to chill out. You know, give her some time. She's just chilling out. Well, she's taking that and, and run with it. And so when he tries to talk to her, she says, leave me alone, I'm chilling out, or I'm chilling out, or she just ignores him. So we want her to be able to have her time and him be respectful that maybe she doesn't want to talk in that moment, but we want to teach her to be respectful to him and uh, address him, or are we doing the wrong thing by letting her have her time in, quote-unquote, chilling out? How do we address them? How do we teach them, you know, to be respectful to one another, and it's okay if one wants to, you know, chill out or, or not? Um, I'm interested to hear what y'all have to say. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is hilarious to me because I, I, my kids are just now at the age where they can either have a friendly conversation with one another or get on one another's nerves. <laughs> uh, and, and I've started to think about like young siblings as the equivalent of like 
college roommates, the ones that you're assigned your freshman year, or like the person who sits next to you at work, someone who you're like forced to spend a huge amount of time with, but who you didn't choose in any way. And one inevitability of those situations is like, you're going to get on one another's nerves and that's just the way it goes. And like, of course, so you've got one who likes to talk and the other one who likes to just sit there in silence and not have anybody talk to her. What a funny coincidence. Like their personalities are evolving around one another. Uh, like when you put two trees next to each other and they kind of grow twisting all around each other. Um, and and so like yeah of course your daughter would rather her older brother shuts up we you would too if you were constantly stuck in tiny confined spaces with someone who never stops talking I don't know if that's helpful or not but like <laughs> this is how it goes it, it sounds to me like she's got one extrovert and one introvert right um I think there are a lot of fun visual aids usually they I mean, I'll try to find a good one that would work for kids but you see them a lot like hanging in offices sort of like the extrovert personality versus the introvert personality and how introverts it actually takes energy for them to interact with other people. Like it is actually like draining to have conversations with talkative people if you're an introvert. And extroverts become recharged when they interact with other people. Um, and it, it sounds to me that that's kind of what's going on. And I, I don't think that the chill out thing is uh, bad. It, the only thing that about it that it's unbalanced is that it's only addressing one of her kids' personality types and that maybe there's a way to come up with some fun visual learning aid to show them, you know, the, the differences in how they feel when being talked to versus not being talked to or being alone versus being in a group. I mean, maybe he has like a million friends. Maybe she has like two close friends only. And you can use some of that, you know, office psychology infographic stuff to show your kids like everyone's different. And maybe maybe that will help her also turn to him sometimes and understand that he's actually getting something beneficial from being the one who's talking all the time. And maybe then it'll also engender some empathy in him and you know, understanding that it's actually like taking her energy away when he talks to her. I don't know. It's just an idea. <laughs> I have two extroverts, so I never had to deal with this particular issue. But that's a lot, that's a lot what it sounds like to me. Just out of interest, where do you put yourself on the introvert extrovert scale? Oh, duh. I'm an extrovert. <laughs> you don't have to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm a little, I mean, I don't know if I fully understand the introvert extrovert thing as a, as a framework. I know that people like to talk about it a lot. I'm, but um, actually, in this instance, there's two thoughts that came to me. Number one is a very practical thought, which is something I used to do a lot because we have a family of people who like to talk. And the way that we talk can be troublesome to the other three people in the family, as in the length of time a story goes on or blah, 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 or when someone wants to talk and someone doesn't. This is more with the kids. We introduce timers. We, we do a lot of compromises by timers. And so, like, we had this issue where my son would, like, start telling a story at dinner, and then he would just – there were so many asides – it would take him the entire dinner to get through the story and it would drive my daughter crazy. And so we just introduced this story timer. Like, yeah, do you want to tell us about this thing that happened in school? Great. Tell it in two minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was something that we found worked. And and so I could see that working in this scenario. I think this is probably something I would try if I was in that scenario with two kids this age, which is that, listen, both of you want different things. The things that both of you want are fine. 
So you have to figure out a way to share the things that you want. So how about you guys have a conversation for two minutes and then you can have two minutes of quiet or five minutes. And then when the timer's off, then you can have five minutes of quiet and you don't have to have a conversation with each other. Things like that. That's something that I used, I did all the time. And occasionally now when it gets really raunchy and weird in our house with kids getting on each other's nerves, I'll just introduce quiet time for five minutes. I'll just be like five minutes of quiet. And amazingly, they still do it, which is phenomenal to me because they don't have to. I can't make them be quiet. They're 14 and They like 11. it as much as you do. <laughs> but I think they secretly now recognize that it kind of works. So they'll be like, oh, oh man, dad, oh, fine. And then we'll just be quiet for five minutes. And then we'll, and then that usually resets the mood enough to keep, uh, you know, like little sparks from turning into actual flames of conflict. So that's the one thought I had. The other thought I had about this is that I think there's this thing that we have when our kids are little where we think that every situation has the capacity to teach them a huge life lesson. And I don't necessarily think that's true as much as we tend to think it's true. In other words, there's two. So in a situation like this, there's two things happening. There's how do I manage the conflict between them? And then how do I manage the larger long term like sort of values of my kids? And I think the timer is good for managing the conflict between them. I don't know that you actually have to manage the values of your kids in this situation at this time. I think there's so many other ways that kids learn respect, boundaries, space, et cetera, that I don't think there needs to be this intensive pressure to figure out these these this particular situation as like a metaphor for a larger thing. So I think I'd probably would just focus, if I were the parent here, I would probably just focus on navigating the logistics of how annoying it is that they both want different things by using a timer and then kind of like recognize that the larger issue about boundaries and so forth is going to come up all over the place and it doesn't, it, it, does, it isn't all living here. Yeah, I think all that is right. There's the one thing I would add is like these kids, this is not just a question of one kid who enjoys talking and another kid who enjoys quiet. This is a question of two kids who are forced into a confined space together who are doing things to one another, right? Mm -hmm. The kid who likes to talk knows that his sister does not like it when he's always talking to her, and yet he just has to keep doing it. He just has to keep talking <laughs> to her because he just has so much to say. Uh, and the kid who likes quiet knows that her brother is a guy who talks a lot, and, and when she complains to her mom that she needs some chill-out time, that's not just about her personal preference for quiet. That This is about, like, them attacking one another, defending themselves against one another, triangulating against mm -hmm. the parents on each other. This is like the playing out of their relationship, which is a rich, complex, dynamic, thorny relationship, and it is whatever it is. And conflict in that relationship is not always a bad thing. Like, it's not always pleasant to be around, but it it's an activity. It's a thing that they sometimes like to do. They get a kick out of it. It's a game that they're playing. It might be genuinely hostile, in which case you should probably try to look at what that's about, or it might just be the way they pass the time in the car ride to school, in which case <laughs> maybe, like, you have to accept it, even though it's not your choice. But um, I think it's just important to to see it in the context of the relationship and not in not only in the context of like completely um, arbitrary preferences that happen to be opposed to one another. Yeah, that's a really good point. I vote for this mom getting some chill out time. I, I, think, I think she <laughs> yeah. could use some chill yeah, out time. Yeah, the mom chill out time. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that one of the things that my kids always do to me is like th they'll be bickering, not really fighting. Sometimes it gets vicious. Sometimes it gets personal. But then there's that, there's that minor level where they're just bickering about who has a certain throw pillow or just some bullshit like that. And I'll just be like, stop arguing. And they'll literally both look at me and be like, we like doing this. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right, well, do it yeah, quieter. I bet these do kids, I bet these kids like it too in a, in, in a horrible, sadistic way. <laughs> kids aren't immune to the worst aspects of human nature either. <laughs> all right, Brittany, thank you for the call. I hope that was helpful. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time for us to recommend things, parenting recommendations. Rebecca, what do you recommend? Uh, this week, I'm going to recommend the Cosmos Real Boot with Neil deGrasse Tyson. It came out in 2014, but I was scrolling through Netflix yesterday and happened to notice the whole series is there available on Netflix. Uh, the reason I recommend it, my kids were a bit younger when we watched it. They were, you know, 10 and uh, 12 or something like that. They loved it. They loved every minute of it. They loved the visuals. Uh, we were able to watch it together. They learned a lot. There's a lot in it about sort of historical science figures like uh, Copernicus and Galileo and the relationships between people at the time discoveries were made. In addition, there's a lot in there about cool space stuff. <laughs> a lot of like uh, great sort of graphics and uh, infographics and like zoom in space shots. There's a lot of little cheesy special effects with Neil deGrasse Tyson standing on what's supposed to be like a flying saucer or something. I don't know. It kind of has everything that a family TV show should have. We all learned a lot from watching each episode of it. And to this day, uh, my older son is now, you know, taking like AP physics and so forth. And he still, you know, sort of cites things that I remember him learning on Cosmos about different aspects of science and physics and chemistry. Uh, and they, they make it all very fun and uh, digestible. At one point in the genetics episode, there's a whole thing with cartoon dogs. It's really fun. Um, so anyway, if you have kids who are in any way interested and engaged with science, if they like nature, if they like space stuff. Um, this show, Cosmos, this reboot that was made, I think was a little more skewed to young people and it came out really well for young people. So I recommend checking it out. And again, it's available on Netflix, probably some other places as well. Great. I have a new chapter book series to recommend that someone recommended and that we got for Eliza and she loves it. Uh, it's called Dory Phantasmagory. The author and illustrator is Abby Hanlon. Uh, and it's about a little girl named Dory, the youngest sibling. These are sort of illustrated, like heavily illustrated chapter books. They're filled with these great cartoons. The illustrations are lovely. The, the, um, the character is one of those like plucky, brave, imaginative, creative child heroines who nonetheless is like so heroic and yet so precisely a kid, like not a little adult in any way. 
Um, and it's just delightful. I read the beginning of it with her, but then she finished it by herself because she can do that now and she loves it. Um, and there's two more and, and I was delighted to find them. The book is Dory Phantasmagory is the first of the series. Uh, and the writer is Abby Hamlin. I am also going to recommend a book. It's the mixed up files of Basil E. Frankweiler by. Yes. (laughs) Best. Yeah. Um, by. E.L. Konigsberg, who was my favorite writer growing up. And in fact, there's another book that I'll probably recommend later that uh, there's a whole story about that how that <laughs> book plays into my life. But from the mixed-up files of Basil E. Frank Weiler, uh, I read that to my kids over the course of three nights. Uh, and it's just such – it's got everything that you want where it's like a kid has to go and solve a mystery. But it's not like a, a supernatural mystery. It's really just a mystery about – what makes people who they are. Um, And then it's also because it's old timey because it takes place in, I think, 1968. You get to introduce your kid to all these old school concepts like like an automat, which I didn't even really know what that was. And we got to Google and, and it just became this like pathway for us to consider how things have changed and how things have stayed the same. Uh, it's uh, it's an all-time classic. So, again, if you're reading it to younger kids, sometimes some of the old-timey language and old-time concepts uh, can 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 sort of like slow you up. But it just, in our experience, it just gave us an opportunity to like learn more about how the world used to be and what technology has changed since 1968. But uh, it's still a beautifully written story uh, that's really nuanced and um, emotionally rewarding. It's from the mixed up files of Basil E. Frank Weiler by E.L. Konigsberg. Question for you, Carvel. Yes. Uh, now, when you guys walk by fountains as a family, do your kids look in there to see how much money they could possibly gather if they were to jump in there and pick <laughs> up all the coins? They've always done that. And <laughs> this just helps confirm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's our show. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. If you have a question you would like us to tackle, give us a call at 424-255-7833 and visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fighting. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll be back next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.